Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. We provide straightforward information by bringing excellent guests with real-world experience in all topics related to commercial real estate investing. And in today's episode, I'll be sharing with you some of the main things I have learned at a conference that I went a few weeks ago. It's called the Women's Real Estate Investment Summit by Beth Azor. Beth was actually someone that I interviewed in this podcast in our early days, and she is amazing. She has been doing retail for a few decades, and that's all she does. So this conference was incredible. But first, how did I get there? So I decided to go to Miami for a month to run away from California. And when I was there within the first couple of days, I said... I'm going to reach out to everybody that I know on my spreadsheet that I've shared with you guys before that I keep track of every person that I meet in the real estate world. So I reached out to her and a few other people that live in Miami. And sure enough, she said, I'm having a conference in five days. Come over. And I said, okay, great. And so not only that, this other person that I had reached out that lives in that area knows Beth and she was also going to her conference. What a small, small world. And I say that because even though we can work from different places, thankfully, it's not a vacation, right? I'm there to work. Of course, I'm going to go out and have fun at night or the weekends, but I'm still working. So (laughs) we got to keep just doing our job and networking and meeting people. So I'll talk about some things that were shared there and it's going to be more in a bullet point format because these were the notes that I took throughout the event and I thought were the most important ones. And by the way, as soon as I got there, I was a few minutes late because my rental car key would not come out of the car. Uh, And... Beth was literally pointing at people in her audience and saying, you should talk to that person because this is blah, 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 blah. And this was mind-blowing because it goes to show that she knows her people and she cares about her people and she cares about them succeeding. And this was so clear throughout the entire conference that it made me like her even more. So, you should go to the conference next year. The spirit of the conference was of extreme honesty. And um, one of the things that she started saying is that boxers are not judged by how hard they hit, but by how many times they get up. How beautiful is that? And how many times do we have to get up in this field or any field, as a matter of fact? So it's good to keep that in mind because everybody is going through things. A lot of people just don't talk about it. And that's why when you're going through it, it feels like you're the only person going through it. But that is not true. So there are some asset classes that you can actually get an SBA loan, such as self-storage for your purchase. You just need to make sure that you go with a lender who is experienced in SBA loans. 
in order for that approval to take the least amount of time. And how do we find these lenders? You go to industry-specific events and conferences and you go find these lenders. They are there. They also encouraged us to never do a CMBS loan. They have excellent terms, but these loans have prepayment penalties. They don't allow you to get a secondary loan on top of it. And you're basically stuck with it for 10 years. And this loan gets sold over and over and over again. And you never have a point of contact. They can foreclose on you very quickly. So besides the fact that you should not get a CMBS loan, when you go and talk to a lender, you need to make sure to ask them if they service their own loans. So some examples were lenders who sell their loans right away. And during events like COVID, you literally have nobody to call because that loan has been sold multiple times. And so when you're dealing with the bank that lent you money, you can call them directly. You have a point of contact. You can figure out a plan together. Beth mentioned that in the first few weeks of COVID, she was about to call her lender and they actually called her first to let her know that they were giving her the ability to defer payments for three months. In my opinion, this is the true definition of the American spirit because this gave her time to think, not freak out, and talk to all of her tenants and also come up with a plan to help them out. She was not stressed. She was able to focus on what was important for the business, which is helping their tenants make their payments. She was able to point her tenants in the right direction to apply for loans that were handed out. And after the three months went by, the lender called again, asking if she needed another extension. And guess what? She had zero delinquencies. Every single tenant was up to date on their payments. So this went full circle for the bank, in my opinion, and it's humbling to see how this was handled in the situation because, you know, in countries like where I'm from in Brazil, <laughs> this would not have happened. They would be calling you to ask and make sure that you're going to make the payment uh, and they would probably foreclose on you right away. So it's just another reminder of how great it is to do business in this country. Next bullet point. Always look at the NOI divided by the debt amount. Lenders like a 9% and above debt yield ratio. So for example, if your property has a $90,000 net operating income and you have a million dollar loan, your debt yield ratio is exactly 9%. So that is great. A good idea is to have a loan for a million dollars or less in this scenario. If you are syndicating a deal, documentation on capital call is very important for banks. So they will make sure that this provision is there for obviously their own safety. 
and also the controlling interest should stay with the operator, also for the bank's interest as well. With regards to finding deals, call brokers regularly so they keep you in mind. Remember my follow-up, follow-up, follow-up? That's what you have to do. And also, when you decide to buy something, let the brokers or make the brokers invest in the deals that they're bringing you. A lot of them are interested in investing. They just don't want to operate it. So that incentivizes them to only give you really great deals. And the proof will be in the pudding. So they will be investing in the deals that they really know as a fact are great deals. Not only that, they will be also very honest with the value of that deal that they're investing in. And they will also be a great resource for any questions and they understand the industry. So it's a win-win-win across the board. With regards to underwriting and also, in my opinion, the properties that you currently own, you need to do a stress test analysis on your properties to see how the potential property would survive in an economic downturn. For example, what would happen if 10 to 20% of the tenants left? And this can be in any asset class. What would happen if rents decreased by 10 to 20%? We have interviewed people here before that in 08, they went from 100% occupied in a phenomenal market to 40% vacancy within days. So this can happen to anybody. Please do your stress test analysis on all the properties that you're buying and the ones that you currently have. An interesting data point was brought up in this conference, which obviously welcomed men, and there were quite a few men out there, pretty smart to be there in my opinion. (laughs) Another very interesting point that they made was that women outperform men in real estate investing by two to one. And I say this knowing that my audience is 65% men, and I love men, and I'm not a man hater. I say this because I want all of you guys here to be mindful and purposeful to partner up with women. It has been proven over and over again that diverse teams in all industries do much better than non-diverse teams. And it should be pretty common sense, but Let's go over why that's the case. Diverse teams have a broader spectrum and they think of things that other people in the team wouldn't think of. It can be things that we are not thinking about just because they have a different perspective. They have different things that they prioritize and that is going to help you and your business thrive. And when I say diversity, it's not just men and women. It's also people from different colors, people from different countries, because their life experience is so much different than ours that they can bring new perspectives, new ideas to the team. We all have to be mindful to hire diverse people. Right now, my VAs are women. (laughs) I need to get guys in my team. Women are more detail-oriented. Again, I'm generalizing. I'm just making this up. 
guys are more, I want to expand and grow super fast. And women are more like, no, let's be more mindful and really dig deep in the numbers and things like that. So imagine what can happen when we put these two together and all these other people from different places and different backgrounds. I promise you, your team, your company will thrive. I'm not making this up. This is fact. Another interesting thing with regards to numbers, Beth had a lending panel and these were lenders that have been lending for 20 to 30 years. And she asked them, how many women have you lent to in your entire career? Guess how many? Between one to three women in their entire career. So this averages out to one women per decade. (laughs) Pretty crazy, right? So to my 35% audience that is women, let's please increase these numbers. I know it can be scary. I know that we overanalyze every single detail of the deals, but no deal is perfect. And once you start investing, you will see the light at the end of the tunnel. I promise. And I also know that all of you have learned a lot by now. (laughs) You have really educated yourself. So please just do it. Moving on. Deals are getting done because of LinkedIn. It's another thing that I have talked about before. Talk to people that are younger than you. See what's going on in their world. This is something that I am personally not doing. I'm not doing anything in social media with regards to real estate investing. And they are meeting people online. They are becoming influencers in the real estate field, especially within their peers. And they are finding deals because of that. People are coming to them, giving them deals because they're saying that they're XYZ asset class experts. And then a realtor that has multifamily deals comes across a retail deal and says, oh, I know that person is only doing retail. Here you go. So that's something that we should start doing depending on where you are in your career. With regards to hiring and employees, one of the guys that was interviewed in the conference said that he structure employees to get a promote after a few acquisitions. I won't get into the, the specifics of what a promote is, but put it very, very simply. After the property returns a certain promised percentage to the investors, let's say 10%, the sponsor earns a higher percentage. So Part of that goes to the employee as well. After they've done X number of deals, it gives the employees an incentive to get really great properties and also make sure that these properties perform well. Also, employees in that company have a path to partnership. Next point. When you want to do a development deal, JV, do a joint venture, with a developer who knows everything about that asset class. And now I'll move on to retail because that's what Beth has been doing for the last few decades. 
So her number one acquisition strategy in retail is to buy 100% leased centers. Why? Because the rents are too low. Imagine increasing the rent of a few people that were on month to month and you automatically increase the NOI and you automatically increase the value of your property exponentially. Brilliant. She also said to never vacate old tenants before new tenants' leases are completely signed. Watch out if one of your tenants is selling their business to an EB5 person. That is people who are buying that business to get a visa and they are very likely not going to run that business properly and you need to start thinking of who you're going to be replacing that tenant with when that particular store closes. When you paint your retail center, calls from leasing brokers go up by 20% every single time. When your tenant calls asking for something, give it to them, but ask for something in return. For example, a waiver. As far as signage for your retail center, you should always be white letters on dark backgrounds. It jumps out in retail. A national tenant, Metro PCS, is known for not paying rent. And my favorite thing that I learned from Beth is that no is a complete sentence. (laughs) I love it. So on the second day of the conference, we got on a bus and went to see a few of her shopping centers. We stopped at each shopping center and she talked about all of the details of each deal. All of the things that went right, all of the things that went wrong, all the things that she went through, lessons learned, It was really, really, really interesting because I'm telling you, no deals are always smooth. Everybody goes through things, even if you have decades of experience. So it was a super awesome conference. I plan to have Beth back here to discuss some of her deals in detail so that you guys can understand everything that happens in a shopping center. I hope this was helpful to you. And if you are learning things from this podcast, please make sure to leave us a review on the podcast app that helps us keep doing these things. And if you'd like to hear about my first syndication deal, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at monicarlorei.com. I'll be sending out the details of that deal soon. And I will see you next time.